The first reading for our celebration of All Saints Day, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the Revelation of St. John, the seventh chapter. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And this is the word of the Lord. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The epistle reading comes from the first letter of St. John, the third chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. 
Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Revelation. Revelation, singular, is in part a record of St. John's vision, where he was essentially given a guided tour of heaven. And understandably, there are some things that John has difficulty comprehending, because he is mortal and a sinner, being shown heaven, a perfect, eternal, sinless paradise. John can't understand everything because he has no real frame of reference. Everything that he's known for his entire life has been tainted by sin. So to see absolute perfection and holiness is a wee bit mind-boggling. But thankfully, John is not left to figure things out on his own. God provides guides and through them provides answers in many cases. For instance, in our reading today, John sees the throne of God where a great multitude that nobody could number is standing before him and shouting his praises. With angels and archangels, they fall down and worship and sing out God's praise. It's an amazing sight to imagine and not an easy one to comprehend. One of the elders, a heavenly saint, says to John, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Now he's not asking John because he doesn't know, but because he wants to be certain that John knows, which he really doesn't. And so John defers back to the elder. He says, Sir, you know. And the elder tells him what he knows. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, which may well have totally cleared it up for John, but not so much for us, right? We still ask, who are these? Are these special saints? Are these the end-time martyrs? Are these the people who endured a specific kind of suffering and are now rewarded by being part of this multitude? Just who are these white-robed souls and what is the great tribulation that they've come out of? Well, the answer to those questions is not really, kind of, yes, and sin. But in case you forgot what the questions were, let me explain. Who are these white-robed souls? Well, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that's us. We are the saints. We are the ones who have washed our sin-soiled robes in the blood of the Lamb to be cleansed and set free from our iniquity. And what is this great tribulation? Well, it's the suffering that we endure that is brought about by that same sin. It's not just some magical seven-year period where things get particularly bad. It's the entirety of history. The entire sad, terrifying, wretched state of the world that we live in that is so broken and painful because of sin. We have endured that chaos and suffering in faith. We have held to the cross of Jesus Christ even through death, and so we have been cleansed of our sin and given the honor of standing before God's throne in heaven and singing his praises forever. That's what awaits us as Christians. That's the victory that God has given us by grace through faith 
in the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That's the eternal joy that all of our loved ones who have died in Christ now experience in full and that we ourselves will as well. That's the sinless perfection of heaven where the lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's not just a fanciful hope. By the blood of Jesus Christ, that's a guarantee. Which makes us ask another question. Why? If that's what God has prepared for us, if that's what awaits us, if that's where we know that we are going to go, then why must there be this great tribulation? Why must we endure trial and pain and suffering? Why must there be tears in our eyes in the first place for God to wipe away? Well, some say that because of the tribulation of this world, because of the suffering that we endure, we enjoy the rest of heaven that much more. I mean, what makes you enjoy a vacation even more than usual? When work is really hard. When the days leading up to your time off have been so stressful, so chaotic, so frustrating, that it's just ever so much sweeter to walk away and say, man, am I going to enjoy this time off. And even if it's a subpar vacation, just knowing that you don't have to deal with all that stuff for a few days really makes it fantastic. So is that why we suffer here on earth? Is God putting us through the ringer so that heaven will seem that much greater? Of course not. It's not like we need earth to be especially bad for heaven to be great. Heaven is perfect. No matter what earth was like, heaven will be better, and we will totally appreciate it no matter how much or how little we've suffered. And besides, God is not some twisted sadist who willingly makes his beloved children suffer so that being with him in the flesh will seem slightly better. So no, the great tribulation, the suffering that we endure on this earth, it's not just some literary foil, it's not God's sinister way of making heaven seem even better than it actually is. So why? Why must we endure the great tribulation? Why must we suffer before we enter the paradise of heaven? Why would God do that to us. But you see, that's the wrong question. So many people assume that God is the cause of all pain and suffering. That God has wrought the great tribulation upon the earth for some sort of devious or self-serving reason that we just don't get. But he didn't. God didn't cause the great tribulation of our lives. Sin did. Sin causes pain and suffering. Sin causes greed and jealousy. Sin causes heartache and sorrow. Sin causes frustration and irritation and hatred and anger. Sin causes the earth itself to rebel against us and bring pain upon our lives. Sin causes tears and death. Don't blame God for the tribulation that sin brings into your life. Don't blame God when your own sinful actions cause you pain and heartache. 
Don't look at the broken state of our world and all the hatred and anger and pain and suffering and point the finger at God saying, you did this. No. We are sinners living in a sinful world. We are reaping what we have sown and what sin freely pours out into our lives. The chaos and torment and tribulation of this mortal existence, that's all caused by sin. If not for sin, there would be no great tribulation, no minor tribulation, no tribulation or suffering at all. It's not God's fault, it's sin's fault. And as sinners, it's our fault. Some ask, couldn't God end this pain and suffering? Couldn't God, with a word, make the earth a perfect, sinless paradise, a place with no suffering or sadness or tribulation or sorrow or death? The answer is, yes, he could. And yes, he has. Not with just a word, but with the word. The word made flesh. The Word incarnate. The eternal Word of God that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our suffering, our tribulation, our sorrow, it seems pretty awful at the time. And it seems like it's never going to end. But the great tribulation of sin, it will not last forever. Our loving Heavenly Father sees fit to allow us to suffer for a time to mold us and shape us, to refine our faith like gold, to show us how much we truly need him. But he loves us so much that he took drastic actions to keep us from suffering forever, to bring an end to the tribulation that we deserved for eternity. As sinners, we shouldn't question why God would let bad things happen, but we should actually ask why God doesn't let more bad things happen? Why aren't our lives constantly filled with tribulation and suffering? Why don't we suffer more now and continue to suffer for all eternity? Those are the real questions. And the answer is because of the blood of the Lamb that washes away all of our sin. Because God loved us wretched sinners so much that he gave up everything to redeem us from sin, death, and the devil, to make us his own dear beloved children once again, to open the gates of heaven that we may leave this tribulation of sin and enter into his holy and perfect paradise. He has put an end to our tribulation. He has given us the eternal rest of heaven. He has done everything that we never could so that we could be in his rest forever. He took on our human flesh, setting aside his glory and might, choosing to limit himself to one place in a physical body. He endured all the temptations that we ourselves face each and every day. He endured the disbelief and the mockery and doubt. He suffered the effects of sin just as we do enduring the same sadness and sorrow and tribulation, even though he never once sinned, never deserved any of the suffering and heartache and pain that we do. He allowed himself to be betrayed by a dear friend, to be convicted by those who should have been proclaiming him to the world, to be beaten and spit upon and mocked by those that he came to save. 
he took upon himself all the sin and guilt and filth and degradation and wickedness of all mankind, of you and me, becoming the embodiment of that which he hated the most, that which went against his perfect will, everything that was unclean and polluted and unworthy of being in his holy presence, all the filth that was washed from our robes, all the sin and rebellion and transgression and spite and hatred, he willingly took all of that upon himself, setting us free from its eternal consequences. And then, so that we could be his own, he sacrificed his eternal life in pain and agony and humiliation, allowing himself to be crucified, giving himself as the propitiation of our sin, the atoning sacrifice that cleansed us of our guilt and paid our penalty in full. He paid with his holy, precious blood. He endured the greatest tribulation imaginable so that we would not have to forever. The Lamb of God was slain, laid in the tomb, dead by our hand. But he rose again to give us life, to open the gates of heaven for all those who believe. As he has risen to the right hand of the Father, he now intercedes for us constantly, protects us, guards us, proclaims us innocent by his blood, by his sacrifice. And because he's done all of this, we are declared to be his saints, his holy ones, his children. We poor sinners who deserved only pain and tribulation, we are allowed to enter into his perfect and eternal rest to stand before his heavenly throne day and night, to reap the never-ending treasures of his holy sacrifice on our behalf. Because of our sin, we must endure the great tribulation, but we know that it will not last. And compared to the eternal glory of heaven, it will be but the blink of an eye. We know that the tears that fill our eyes now will be wiped away by the tender, loving hand of our heavenly Father. We don't just hope for this, we know it. Because Jesus himself has done everything for us. Because it is his precious and holy blood that cleanses us of our sin and not our own deeds. And so we know for a fact that the glorious paradise of heaven awaits us and all those who die in the one true faith. That's why as we celebrate All Saints Day, we remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died in the faith this past year. We are rejoicing in their victory, which they now know in full, and which we are looking forward to. We look forward to the time when we will rejoice with them in heaven. No more pain or sorrow. No more sin or temptation. No more suffering and tribulation. No more tears. No more death. Only the eternal joy of serving our Lord, seeing him face to face, singing out his praise around his throne for all eternity, living in his glorious rest forever. But for now, even as we endure the tribulation, even as we still suffer the effects of our sin, the sin of the world, the sin of those around us, we still rejoice, knowing that the war is won, knowing that as we endure in faith, as we proclaim Jesus to those also suffering in the tribulation, we are not alone. We stand with our fellow Christians, that great cloud of witnesses. 
We stand in the faith of all our brothers and sisters in Christ, past, present, and future, that great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. But most importantly, we stand with God himself. We stand in his almighty hand. We stand in his perfected victory. We stand in his grace and might and mercy and love. Nothing can overwhelm us. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can take away from us the eternal victory that has been given us through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how bad the tribulation and sorrow of the world rages around us, no matter how many terrors it fills our lives with, we do not despair. And we look forward to that joyful reunion with all the saints. We look forward to our eternal rest, our eternal home, our eternal victory. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.